I greet you all in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Uh, this morning, I thank God for uh, this chance that Pastor Caleb has given me to speak to us and to continue with the teaching of the way of the reconciled. My name is Nicholas Mwangi, and I fellowship here in this church. And uh, I count it as a privilege to have been given that chance to continue with this teaching on the way of the reconciled. I uh, am not new to the word reconciled, and every time when I hear or I about reconciliation, it reminds me of some part of my past. For I was born and raised uh, in Kenya, a country which has got 42 tribes, which are unique in their own ways, uh, in their languages, in their cultures, in their food, and even in their way of living. And uh, these uh, 42 tribes are, recon are reconciled in uh, the language, one of the languages known as Swahili, and the English, which is the official language, that despite of all those tribes, of all those communities speaking their own languages, they can communicate in one language known as Swahili. It is the national language. And... Uh, English, which is taught in school, and it is also the official language in uh, our country. Kenya, where I was born and brought up, is a, a very interesting nation, which is so good, and uh, uh, a nation that I would talk of as a best, the best or a good land to go for tourism so that you can enjoy the safari, uh, safari and uh, seeing all the big animals, very good sceneries, and uh, very good and social, welcoming, hospitable people. Wherever you go, you find people smiling and welcoming you. And... Uh, with that kind of a background, we also have very sweet moment when the 242 tribes, or my background, was surrounded by uh, a good moment uh, with a lot of joy, a lot of unity, and jubilation in the nation where you can see that uh, out of the 42 tribes, they are speaking as one family, uh, speaking as one in one language, and they are all celebrating together. One of those moments when they, uh, the, 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 that country is united is during the time when there is uh, athletic competitions and especially when there is the marathon competitions all over the world. And I'm sure that most of you listening to me, you know that whenever there is either Olympic or Boston Marathon, you know that the name of Kenyans appear there. And uh, during those times before I moved to this super nation of America, I tell you, I witnessed the people, despite of their backgrounds, gluing on the TVs and cheering up when one of these Kenyans is running or is on that marathon. But I would like to reveal something that most of the people who don't come from Kenya might not be knowing, that most of those gold winners, marathoners, they come from 99 or 95% of them, they come from only one community of the 42. And the DSBC, we are so much blessed that one of our members by the name Wilson Kabianga actually comes from that community. 
But when these guys are running for our country, the, all the other tribes, they don't see these Maradonas as if they are coming from that community. They see that this is a Kenyan winning. And sometimes, especially when he is at the finishing line, you can see the whole house at a sitting room, grouped at the TV, cheering up. And as the winner or this Maradona is heading to the finishing line, you see them all waking up, rising up, and they are running. You might think they are also in the field, and they are cheering and shouting because this is a Kenyan winning. Some other times when we are united and we have those good moments is when we go to church in Kenya. Kenya is a nation that is an 85% Christian nation, and there is a lot of freedom of worship. And when we go to church, you find us worshiping as if we are all one, we are one community, and because we speak the same language, Swahili, you might not tell the difference. But uh, when we are talking about reconciliation, I would also want to say that uh, we also have our dark side, and that is the dark side of division according to those ethnic uh, communities or tribes. We call them tribes, they are 42. And the sad part of it, which makes me to think more, I mean, to, to, to have a, a great thing in my mind whenever I'm talking about reconciliation is that we have a dark side after every four years because in our nation, we have presidential elections which comes after every five years. And we have a, a kind of a wrong concept or a wrong understanding where each community thinks that when a presidential candidate comes from their community, they will be better placed and they will benefit from it. And what happens during that time is that we enjoy the four years in very good unity and you cannot tell who comes from one community or the other. We live as good neighbors. But in the fourth year, the campaigns begin for the election which is to be happen in the fifth year. And the sad part of it is after every five years, there is a pattern of what happens. When our politicians open their mouth, they speak words which incite these lovely people, united people against each other, using words like our people and our person and our man. And with those words being used, then what happens is that the communities align themselves behind the candidates they think is of their community, is one of them, and the, who will be uh, of their advantage if he becomes the president of the nation. Sadly, since we gained independence in 1963 up to now, we have had only four presidents. And on, uh, and all the four, out of the four presidents, three of them, including the current sitting president, comes from one community of the 42. And only the second president came from a different community. The sad part of it is, even after those leaders have gone to power, if their communities are asked today, they do not have anything they can stand with to say, we benefited because the leader was from our community. But uh, we have a tendency of forgetting. So after every five years again, the politicians stand and they start talking of our people and our man and the, the tribes start raising against each other. 
in the year 2008, uh, 2007, there was election. And uh, it turned to be so ugly after the results were announced. And uh, the sitting president was uh, announced as the winner. And the opposition leader of that time rejected the results. And uh, he announced on the, radio, uh, on the national TVs and radio that his supporters should reject the uh, results. I happened to be working with the media at that time. I was working with a local TV uh, called K24 and a local radio station called Kameme. And I happened to be placed in a, a, a town called Nakuru, which was the, the headquarter of a, a province called Riftivari, which also turned to be the hotbed of violence. And being a media person, I happened to go to the ground when people were rising against each other. Recently, when I looked at the demonstrations here in America with the Black Lives Matters after the death of George Floyd, and I saw the fires and people rooting and uh, all the demonstrations and the shouting, it triggered my mind to what I witnessed in the year two, late 2007 and the early 2008. When I was there in the field that I saw people killing one another and uh, people uh, burning the houses of each other, and at the end of it, there were thousands or tens of thousands of people whose houses were burnt, and the record shows that tens of thousands were displaced in their own nation, and they were called IDPs, uh, internally displaced people in their own nation. And over 1,100 uh, of people were killed during that time. Many women in thousands were raped, some in front of their husbands or their children. Fathers were killed in the presence of their children. And uh, after, the, after about three months or four months of that agri incident, the then Secretary General of the uh, United uh, State, uh, United, uh, of, uh, United Nations by the name Kofi Annan was sent to our nation. And he came and did a, a lot of work in reconciling the two opposition or the two leaders. And at, uh, after talking to them, they came up with a kind of uh, a government of uh, coercion. And at, after that agreement and signing a kind of a, 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 a memorandum, then the 42 tribes once again, they stopped fighting and they reconciled. There was a difficult work that was done by the church and also some other organizations which went out to teach uh, our people on the ways of reconciliation. And one of the greatest things that I witnessed was when the church played the key part in reconciling or in giving away of reconciliation. And during that time, the church leaders, they came to who understood and who are in the spirit. They came together and they agreed on being in the front line to talk about reconciliation in our nation. 
I saw church leaders taking upon themselves the wrongdoings of their community. They joined hands with each other, and one community was repenting on behalf of their community and asking God for forgiveness, and also facing people of the other community and saying, on behalf of our people, I know that you have been hurt, I know that you have been feeling, you, you are really feeling bad, but I ask on their behalf, please forgive our people, please forgive our community. Then they could join their hands together, and they went before God and asked, God, may you forgive us for the wrongdoing. Dear brethren, I want to tell you that I witnessed a healing happened, happening in our nation. One of the hard moments was for the church members to accept to do that, whereas one of the days in, those, uh, uh, in that rough time, what happened is people ran to church to, to, to seek refuge there. And uh, literally, you might, this might sound so graphic to you, but uh, uh, women and children ran to one of the churches in a place called Kemba, and they hide themselves in that church. And when they seek refuge in that church, the opponent or a, com a community came, and they burnt them alive in the house of God at the altar, and the women and children were burnt in the church. And yet, when the time of reconciliation came, the church people could still come together and say, we forgive you, and we pray that the Lord have mercy and forgive you. That was in my country. And uh, when you're born here in this nation, one of the things you might not know is the kind of understanding people outside the borders of the, uh, this uh, United States nation have concerning this land. Outside the border, people see this land as a land of opportunity, in quotes, as a literal heaven, a land flowing with milk and honey. People long to come here because they have a dream and they know that when they come to America, things will be okay for them and their life will be good. That was also the same with me. But among the things that happen once we, including me, come to this land, before, uh, because that's what happened to me. At this time, I'm a happy and proud citizen of this land, and I thank God for that. But then when we come to this land, among the two things that we get disappointed of, number one is our wrong concept of money and finances. Outside there, people think as soon as you enter into the United States, you become a millionaire, you become a rich person, you have a lot of money. And it is not until, including me, I came to this land, and together with others, I'm speaking on their behalf. That's when we realize, no, money, dollars, do not grow in the streets that you go collecting. Neither do they come from trees that you just go picking. You have to work hard to reach and to acquire the dream that you're having. That's one of the wrong concepts. Now, the other wrong thing that happens is that even after we have dreamt of coming to this land, sometimes... 
almost every person has got a, a story to give of one time or another or repeatedly. Some have got several, some have got a few where they can talk of at a certain time they were also victim of either um, segregation or tribalism or racism or being suspected to be criminals when they are such good people and have got no intention of committing any crime. I've listened to many. I've also been a victim of the same. And we have our own times when we can point one or two incidences where you can say, I saw this happening. But I want to say that I am one of the blessed people. And I like looking at the glass as half full than half empty. And therefore, I know that we have a lot of good things to talk about this land. The only time that I'm so much concerned is when these things now do not only happen outside, but they also happen in the church. If they happen in the church, then it becomes more concerning for us than when it is happening outside. And uh, I know that a majority of the people listening to me are Christians. They are Christ believers. And they believe in the word of, of God, not only in Christ, but also in the word of God. And they do not only believe in the word of God, but they practice the word of God. And therefore we have like a wholesome or a whole cover of assumption that in the church we understand the word of God. And the word of God says that when we come to Christ Jesus, when we believe in Christ Jesus, we are no longer different Though we might be of different cultures, though we might be of different tri tribes, though we might be of different background, whether educational, financial, language, uh, and all kinds of differences that might be there. When we come into Christ Jesus, when we believe in Christ Jesus, we are united with him. And because Christ is one, whoever gets united with Christ, then he becomes part of the body of Christ. Paul states it clearly in most of his letters or in different parts of his letters, that when we come to Christ Jesus, we become part of his body. And the church, church, the, 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 the church family, we are referred to in the Bible as uh, the body of Christ. We can see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, which says that everything, um, uh, that everything is put under Christ for the sake of the church, which is his body. Paul also said in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 to 5, that in Christ, though we are many, we have become one body, and each member belongs to the other. And in uh, Colossians chapter 3, these ones you can read later, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, verse 11 and verse 15, Paul says, or, uh, Paul says that there is no gentle or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is 
in all. So in all ways, we assume that when we come to church, we all have this kind of understanding that we are all one body of Christ. He is the head and we are part of that body. Paul continues to give a quite a broad explanation or understanding of this concept in 1 Corinthians and chapter 12, where now he gives even a breakdown. He says that we are all parts of the body of Christ. He is the head. Then he continues to talk of how the body has got different parts, how it has got different organs, the functions of every organ, and how each organ depends on the other organ and how no part of the body can tell the other part because I'm not you, I do not need you. He even continues to say when one part of the body is suffering, then the whole body is suffering. So we have a wholesome kind of understanding that the church is a body of Christ and being the body of Christ, then we are all important to each other and because we are important to each other, we value one another, we accept one another, and at the same time, we, uh, we, we, we value what each person is doing and respect it. But sometimes, this is not what happens in the church family. There are sometimes I think that the reason why sometimes it doesn't happen is because even in the Bible, the families or we have seen families not being so much united. And sometimes it's kind of inheriting from the past before Jesus Christ came. We see this happening right from our fathers of faith. We know our patriarchs of faith. We start most of the times, uh, we, we start with the, uh, we all always start with the, with the Abraham. Uh, but sometimes even when we look back to Sarah and uh, Abraham, we see Sarah and Abraham when they got uh, their children. Uh, Sarah requested, uh, Sarah requested uh, Moses, I mean, I go back, uh, about Sarah and Abraham, pardon me, in Genesis chapter 21, we see that uh, Sarah and Abraham, Abraham is the father of faith from whom God promised to make a nation. And that is where the church comes from. That's where Christ comes from. And we see Sarah asking the husband to get a baby or a child with a slave girl. And Abraham gets his firstborn as Ishmael from Hagar, who was a slave. Then later, God keeps the promise, and Sarah also gets a son, and that is Isaac. In chapter 21 and verse 10, we see a division coming right there from our first father of faith. And Sarah, in verse 10, tells Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be here with my son. Division begins right from our father or the first patriarch of faith. And then in the family, there is one woman who says that's a slave woman and a child of a slave woman cannot inherit with my child. And division comes in the family of our forefather. 
It did not end there. We always call our God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And out of the same, it follows a lineage of family division. And sometimes I tend to think that was before Jesus Christ came. Is this the same thing that happens even in the churches sometimes? Because we see in Genesis chapter 27 that Isaac now, whom Sarah said cannot inherit together with the sons of a slave woman. He also falls under the same problem. He got married to a lady, a very good bride, known as Rebecca. And Rebecca gives birth to the twins. And the firstborn happens to be called Esau, and the second one happens to be called Jacob. And when the two are born, Genesis chapter 27 says, the mom liked the second born, though they were twins. He liked Jacob more than Esau. And the Bible says, Rebekah had favor. He favored Jacob. Even when it comes to the time of the father uh, uh, blessing them, he wanted to give the blessings to the firstborn. But because of favorism, the mother, Rebecca, had to assist Jacob to steal or to take the blessings of his brother, Esau. So he ends up being blessed, not because he deserved it, but out of the favorism from the mother. And Jacob also, when he also now gets married later, he gets 12 sons. And out of the 12 sons, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3, that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. He had 12, but he loved one more than the other. Looking at those fathers of faith, we see favorism. We see segregation. We see a kind of treating people unequally. And sometimes the same thing has happened even in the church up to this day. You might tell me it doesn't happen to us just because you don't do it. But let me tell you, it happens. It's not with everybody, but it still happens where we see Sarah's of a kind, even among the believers, saying, this one cannot be together with one of our own. This is not one of our own. And as Sarah told Abraham to do with his firstborn and the slave lady, the same thing happens even today. It's so easy to find such a thing happening. And as it happened also with Rebecca, favoring one son than the other. It happens even in the church today, where there will be favorism, where there will be playing cards so that one may lose and the other one win. And this is so sad if it would be happening in the church today. At the same time, 
when, uh, uh, at the, when Jacob favored his son Joseph more than the others in Genesis 37. It says that the other sons, they were bitter about it. They did not like it. But he was favored of the Lord. So they conspired and they planned to kill him. But because God was with him, he made them change their minds. And instead of killing him, they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. And then the other sweet story follows from there. That even after he was sold as a slave, that was not the end of him because he was under the blessings which God had promised Abraham. And the word of the Lord says, when he has blessed, nobody can curse. When he has opened a door, nobody can uh, shut it. You can see that in Revelation chapter 3, which calls him God, the one who holds the key of, Joseph, uh, of David. And when he opens a door, nobody can shut. And when he closes, nobody can open. You can also see the same in Numbers chapter 22, 23, and 24. When Balaam was called by Barak to cast the Israelites, and he could not be able to cast until he tells the king, you cannot cast what God has blessed. So even when there is conspiring, it do not succeed when the hand of the Lord is upon a person. Where am I going with this? You might ask me then if this is happening then what should we do? When we know that we are Christians, we are believers in Christ, when we have unity with Christ, when we are united as one body of Christ, Christ being the head, then what should, I, should we do? I would say three things we can do, and we can borrow them from what Paul told the Philippian church. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, it has a lot of praise, a lot of joy in Paul's words when he is praising this church and telling them how good they are, how I long to come to you guys, how I thank you for being ministry partners, how I thank you for the gifts, how I pray for you. But then Paul, he continues now in chapter 2 where I can borrow three things I can say that they can help us in our way of reconciliation as a church. He knew the Philippians church well. In the book of Acts 86, it was in his second mission when he visited Philippi for the first time. And there he was able to meet with people like, uh, Tab, uh, like uh, Tabitha. He was able to meet with a sorcerer who he cast a demon out of. He was able to meet like a jailer whom he set free. And uh, he, th th these people got saved. And that's how the church in Philippi started. So when he had left Philippi and he had gone to some other places, he writes a letter to them and he gives them uh, three things which I want to pick from Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 to 11. In those 11 chapters, one of the things I can pick from is having spiritual unity. He calls this church, which was made up of the people who had different kind of backgrounds. But then he tells them, if there is any joy, that is Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, he tells them, 
if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit. Church, if there is anything which can come from our unity with Christ, then we would be united in the spirit. When we are united with Christ, then we will be united as brothers and sisters, despite of our background, whether a person speaks English fluently or not, whether a person has got the same color with us or not, whether the person is of the same status with us or not, or economic status with us or not. When we come to the house of the Lord, when we come together as a church family, then we are united with Christ. So we are united also with our brothers and sisters who believe in Christ and we value each other. We see each other as children of God. We see each other as brothers and sisters and our unity will be known by all because we will value one another and we'll start having a little heaven right here in our church family. Because time is coming, Revelation tells us in chapter 21, when we shall go to heaven, it talks of, uh, of it as the new Jerusalem. And this is the place where all of us as believers hope to go to. And when we go to heaven, there shall be no corner for white people, black people, people who speak this language and who speak another language, people who are rich and the ones who are poor, slaves or free, and in heaven it shall be only one family of God singing hallelujah and praising the Lord. We can practice that even today in our gatherings, in our church family. We can practice our literal heaven before we meet in that other land which is a, we sing sweet by and by. Another number two, which we borrow from uh, what Paul is telling Philippians, is that we should ha be humble. In verse 3 of chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul tells them, do nothing of selfish ambition or vain consight. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I like the version which says in verse, uh, verse 3, that you're considering others better than you are. In the church, there is sometimes a problem of thinking that sometimes we are better than so-and-so. I am better than so-and-so. When the worship team is singing here, we think that I can do better or so-and-so is better than that. When somebody is speaking or preaching, I think so-and-so can do better or I can do better. When we get leadership or positions, the thing is, who is that? I think we can can do better. Church, Paul calls the Philippians church to have humility, to humble themselves, and not to do anything out of selfish ambition, but in humility, consider others, see others better than they are. Dear brethren, 
if we lay aside selfishness and treat others with respect and common courtesy, uh, considering others' interests as more important than our own, we link ourselves to Jesus Christ, who is a true example of humility to us. And that leads me to the last point or the last lesson that I would like to borrow from Paul to the Philippians. He says, you should have the same attitude like the one which was in Christ. You can see that from verse 5 to verse 11, where Paul says that you, church, you, church family, you should have the same attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to grasp, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And for this reason, also, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Church, I want to end with this. If we have anything that we can stand with for having been united with Christ, then we can have the same attitude that Christ had. In fact, being a Christian simply means being Christ-like. A Christian is a Christ-like person. And Paul tells the Philippians, though he was a God, he did not see the magnificency of heaven as something to grasp. But he humbled himself, left the glory, and he came to this fallen world. And he even became so obedient to the Father to save the world, to take a human form, a corrupt human form, and even he became obedient to death. Yes, death on the cross. This is a real sign of humility. Later, Peter says, God hates the proud, but the humble he exalts. Dear Christians, dear brethren, we can have the same attitude that Christ had. And with that attitude then, when we gather as a church family, we look at each other as members of the same body. We will not see the colors. We will not see the status. But we will respect each other and value one another. I want to end there and conclude by saying this. As we are coming towards the end of the teachings on the way of reconciliation, take these three points of today. 
Let us have spiritual unity with one another and with Christ. Let us have humility and ha let us have the Jesus attitude. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this chance that you have given us to go through the way of reconciliation and moreover today to talk of being a church family and a reconciliation in the church family. I pray that in the name of Jesus, you may help us to be united with you, Christ, and to be united with each other as brothers and sisters. Help us to have humility, to see others as if they are better than we are, and to regard each other highly. And Lord, let our attitude be like the attitude that was with Christ Jesus, that when we say we are Christians, we will surely be Christ-like in our words and in our deeds. We pray this believing and trusting in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you.